letters to Timothy and Titus, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We're doing them in this particular order because of some of the themes of the book. And so what I wanted to do today to begin this series is to first of all remind us where we've been in 1 Timothy and Titus. The message that Paul is trying to bring across about who the church is and what the church does and what Christ has done. And then I want us to look at the text of 2 Timothy. We're going to hear the letter as a whole today. As we read it through, we're going to hear and listen for particular themes in the letter that I'm going to point out to you. And then, last but not least, we're going to look at those passages that Charlie read for us and that is up on the screen. 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 to 7, which is kind of an introductory exhortation to help us Hear the message of Second Timothy. With that, think back with me about First Timothy. First Timothy drives to answer the question, who is the church? What is the church? What does the church do? And we saw when we went through First Timothy, particularly from First Timothy 3.15, how Paul defines the church. He says, In verse 14, I write these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church is called to be the household of God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The truth which Paul says is this mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. In other words, the truth is the new reality That Jesus Christ has brought about by his life, his death, his resurrection, his reigning in heaven and his eventual return. This new reality that Christ has brought about that the kingdom of God has come and is here. The church is called to be the pillar and buttress of this truth that the kingdom of God has come. And yet it's an already not yet kingdom. Right? The kingdom of God has come and Christ has conquered all, but we look around in the world and do not yet see all things in submission to Christ. We see a world full of Satan and sin trying to destroy the kingdom of God and trying to deny the truth of the reality that's been created in Christ Jesus. And so God, in his wisdom, how does he respond? He gathers the church around his word as a kingdom outpost. A kingdom outpost that is meant to be a foretaste of this new reality. A foretaste of the new creation that is coming after Christ returns. God gathers his people as kingdom outposts or churches to provide this foretaste. And what he does is he entrusts them with the gospel. Entrust them with the truth. That's why the church is called by Paul the pillar and buttress of the truth. We have been, as we saw in 1 Timothy, entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with this truth, this new kingdom reality. And so, we saw the main point in 1 Timothy is that we're called to guard the gospel by embracing godliness. We're called to guard the gospel by the way we act. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy three 14, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. There's a connection between the reality that Christ has brought about 
and our conduct, what we do as citizens of this already not yet kingdom. So the church is called to be a kingdom outpost that guards the gospel by proclaiming and living this new reality in Christ Jesus. But here's the challenge. We're called to do that by embracing godliness, and yet we are still sinners. We still live in a world broken and marred by sin, a world that conspires against us living out the new reality of the gospel. And that's where the message of Titus came in. That's why I preached through Titus before we got to 2 Timothy. Because Titus answers the question, where does godliness come from? Where does godliness come from? In Titus, we saw that godliness comes from the gospel. The gospel itself produces godliness. We said, remember, the message of Titus is that grace works. Paul talks about this when he writes to Titus in Titus 2, verses 11 to 12. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and doing what? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In other words, the grace of God that comes through Christ Jesus, through the gospel, is what also trains us to live according to the gospel, to live out these norms of the kingdom. The gospel that comes to us in Jesus Christ frees us from the bondage of sin. It frees us from the bondage of needing to justify ourselves. It frees us from the bondage of living a hopeless life because it brings to us the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gospel shows us the sufficiency and surety of God's promises. And that's what Titus was all about. That these promises are things you can bank on and that actually shape your life to reflect godly character. We guard the gospel then not by living perfect lives, but by manifesting the grace of God in how we live. By being sinners in need of a Savior and trusting in Jesus Christ alone. So 1 Timothy, we guard the gospel by embracing godliness. Titus, the gospel itself produces godliness in us. And now 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy deals with the question of how do we continue to guard the gospel in the face of suffering and death? How do we continue to guard the gospel in the face of suffering and death? Because we live in the already not yet kingdom of God, because we still live in a world broken by sin, in a world where Satan is still free to deceive, we live in a world that's filled with suffering and death. We still experience suffering and death. Because we still experience suffering, that means that living by the norms of this new kingdom will be hard. It is hard to live now like we're living in the kingdom of God that we anticipate and desire. Right? It is difficult to live as citizens of a kingdom that is not here because we feel this sense of not belonging. And it creates suffering. Not only that, but because death continues here, we guard the gospel, but one day our watch will be over. One day you will die and no longer be in a position to guard the gospel. Praise God, you will no longer need to. You won't have that responsibility that's so difficult and challenging. 
But one day your watch will end. And that means we must learn how to pass the torch to others. We must learn how to disciple in a way that continues the guarding of the gospel beyond our own death. That's where Paul is as he writes to 2 Timothy. He's writing the letter of 2 Timothy in a very different place from where he was when he was writing the letter of 1 Timothy and the letter of Titus. When he was writing those, he was, especially 1 Timothy, he was still in prison, but it was a nicer prison circumstance, put it that way. At the end of Acts, we see Paul imprisoned in Rome and he's under house arrest and he's still able to come and go a bit and others are able to come and see him. And he's not facing imminent execution. But in 2 Timothy, Paul is in a Roman dungeon, literally in chains, alone and abandoned and facing the sentence of death. He's had his first trial and it did not go well. And he knows his execution is imminent. In fact, we know from church history that it's likely Paul was in prison writing this letter to, second, er, to Timothy, the second letter, during the persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero. And during that time, it is likely that Paul was brought out and beheaded. Just as Peter was crucified during that time. And so Paul is writing under the shadow of death, and he's writing to his disciple Timothy. And he's giving him kind of a last will and testament, an encouragement and an exhortation and a call to continue carrying on the torch of the gospel. And so the main point of Second Timothy, the main point that we're going to unpack as we go through this sermon series, looking at this text, how I would summarize Paul's message is leave a gospel legacy by sharing in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Leave a gospel legacy by sharing in suffering for the sake of the gospel. We're going to unpack that as we go through. I hope you can see it as I see it. I think it's a message that we need today as we seek to learn to leave a gospel legacy behind us. As we read the letter, I want you to listen for a few themes that will help us see this main point. Listen as we read the letter for how Paul is suffering for the sake of the gospel. What kind of suffering he is experiencing. He writes some of it down for Timothy. He relates some of it. He talks about some of his loneliness and some of the hardship that he's experiencing in Rome, in prison. Don't listen only for Paul's suffering, though. Listen for Paul's hope in the promises of God. Paul has hope in the sufficiency of Scripture And God's promises to sustain him in the midst of suffering. And he mentions that hope to be an example to Timothy. To show Timothy that he too can hope in these promises. So listen for Paul's suffering and listen for Paul's hope. And listen for Paul's burden. That he would be entrusting the gospel that he's given to Timothy. And that Timothy would be entrusting it to others. That this gospel legacy This gospel heritage would continue. And last but not least, listen for Paul's affection for Timothy. Paul has a special place in his heart for Timothy. This is one of Paul's most personal letters that he's writing as he's facing death. And he reaches out to Timothy, his beloved 
child, he says. So listen for that as we read. I'm going to read the text of 2 Timothy to us now. I encourage you, if it's helpful for you to follow along in your Bibles, follow along in your Bible. If it's helpful for you to just listen, just listen. The early church would have just heard this as a letter read by the letter carrier. So here goes Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered us at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David as preached in my gospel. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anything cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, um, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. So in preparation to hear this message of 2 Timothy, to leave a gospel legacy... By sharing and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Let's meditate now for a few minutes on these opening exhortations. 2 Timothy 1, 1 to 7. I want to draw our attention specifically to the exhortation in verse 6. Paul says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I want to talk about what that means. Consider what that means. Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. I think often when we read this text, we think of that in terms of some internal subjective experience of God. Fan into flame, Timothy, your passion for your spiritual devotions. As if Timothy somehow was forgetting to do his yearly Torah reading Bible plan. And... He was kind of growing a little bit faint in his prayer times. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. It's not 
primarily an inward subjective sense of nearness to God that God is calling or that Paul is calling Timothy to fan into flame. I think the key for us is where he says that gift came from. He says, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Me growing up in a charismatic environment, that kind of sends thoughts of the Holy Spirit into my head. But if we read faithfully First and Second Timothy and Titus, according to how Paul views the laying on of hands, then we know from First Timothy, particularly chapter 4, verse 14, and chapter 5, verse 22, that the laying on of hands was a commissioning to ministry. Paul talks to Timothy and tells him not to neglect the gift that was given him through the laying on of hands as the council of elders laid their hands on him and commissioned him for ministry in 1 Timothy 4. And in 1 Timothy 5, he cautions Timothy against being too hasty in laying on of hands, not in giving the Holy Spirit or something like that, but in commissioning others for ministry and raising up elders within the church. So when Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God, what he's talking about for Timothy is the gift of the ministry that's been put in front of him, particularly the gift of his ministry in Ephesus. It's the gift of engagement in the mission of God. Now, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. And you might think, if this is Timothy's ministry, then that doesn't really have anything to say to me because I'm not in a ministry position. Maybe that's something to say to me as a pastor, but maybe it doesn't have anything to say to you. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case because we are all called to make disciples, right? We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. Some in formal positions, like Charlie and I, who are formerly elders at the church and have commissions as elders. But all of us, in less formal ways, right? If you are a parent, you are called to be a disciple maker of your children. You are called to teach them the ways of Christ. You are given a ministry to your children to engage in the mission of God. The same is true for your family members. The same is true for your friends, your coworkers, any people you are around. We are called by Christ in Matthew 28 to go into the world and make disciples. All of us are called to engage in this mission. Think of it this way. You are planted where you live, not just because you chose to live there. Maybe you didn't choose to live there if you're a kid. But you're planted where you live, not just because you chose to live there, but because God intends for you to be in a specific set of relationships that you can then engage in disciple-making. Your neighbors are uniquely well-suited to be reached by you, not by me, right? I don't have any relationship with your neighbors. I have a relationship with my neighbors. Likewise, for one another, we all have a unique set of relationships, whether that be through work, family, friends, etc. And through these relationships, we all have opportunities to engage in mission. So when Paul is telling Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of your ministry, your engagement with the mission of God, he's telling you and I to do that as well. To fan into flame our engagement with the opportunities God has put before us to engage in discipleship. 
to engage in mission, to engage with the mission of God. You might object, but I'm no pastor. I can't. How, how can I do that with my neighbors and my friends and my families and friends? My encouragement to you, you can probably guess it, is that God not only gives us opportunities, not only calls us to engage in mission, but also equips us for mission. Right? That's the role of pastors explicitly in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 1 Peter 4, Paul said, or Peter says, we've all been given a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God equips his people with his gifts to engage in his mission. The most important gift you have been given to engage in mission with those around you is God's word. God's word, as you saw in 2 Timothy, is sufficient to sustain, even in the midst of intense persecution and suffering. You have been given God's word and you are called to be a minister as Paul was, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. By speaking the words of God to your friends, to your neighbors, to your loved ones, to those you have relationship with, you are actually ministering true and lasting hope in a way that is beyond just empathizing with someone in a way that is beyond just showing kindness to someone. You're actually speaking the words that manifest the life of Christ Jesus. When you share God's word with someone, you have been given everything you need. And this ministering, this real hope is a gift from God. It's a privilege. It's a present to us. If we view it this way. So Timothy is called by Paul to fan into flame the gift of God that is in him. His calling and equipping for engagement with the mission of God. But the question still remains, I think, what is he supposed to fan into flame? What do we fan into flame? How do we fan that into flame? God's equipping for ministry is not something that needs to be stoked by you. It's a gift of God. Likewise, his call to ministry, those relationships he's given around you, is not something that needs to be stoked by you. It's by God's purposes that he calls us. What do we fan into flame? I think the hint for us is in verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, just the very beginning, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. I think that hints at us at what needs to be fanned into flame if we think about how fear affects our engagement with the mission of God. See, Timothy faced real fear. Paul was writing from, to him from where? From a dungeon. In the shadow of death. Facing execution. And saying, hey, Timothy, do what I did. Live like I did. Continue walking in the way you've learned from me. And Timothy sees and knows that that way leads to death. And so Timothy could be tempted to back away in fear. There's a real fear of chains and death for Timothy. As I reached out to you guys on Facebook and asked questions about suffering, the responses I heard, which were, I, I made sense to me in our context, we don't tend to have this fear of chains and suffering and death like Paul was facing, right? We don't tend to fear the raised fist in our environment. We tend to fear more the raised eyebrow. We tend to fear more the potential shame that can come from living a life that is, according to the kingdom to come, 
and not the kingdom of this world. We're going to talk more about what that fear looks like and how we suffer for the gospel, even here in the next week or two. But we can fear that suffering just the same. We can also fear and back away because we look at the task of reaching our neighbors. We think, I just think about right now, the task of reaching my neighbors in the midst of COVID when they're not exactly wanting to hang out, right? It's hard to engage with neighbors when we're all hunkered down in our houses because we can't be together for risk of COVID. So how do I overcome that? When we look at barriers like that, or we look at the potential for for strain in relationships as we share the gospel with someone and they don't want anything to do with Christ and we fear losing what we might have with them, that can cause us to be discouraged. We can be tempted to back away in fear and to think maybe it's better to just keep my head down, to just, I'm saved, I know Christ, I know I have the promise of life and I'm going to guard my little ember of faith and just keep my head down and get along. We can be tempted to do that. But Paul says, that's a bad idea. Think about when the winds of suffering come. If you have a tiny little ember, or maybe just a struck match, and the wind blows, what happens to it? It just goes out, right? It becomes extinguished. But if you have a roaring fire, what happens when the winds of suffering come? The fire explodes. It's fed oxygen because we experience the sufficiency of Christ in the midst of suffering and our hearts are inflamed. This is the kind of fanning into flame that God is calling us and Timothy through Paul to do. It's to fan into flame this passion for engagement in the mission of God. This desire to be engaged in what God is doing in the world. See, this, the problem that we face is if we do not have desire to participate in the mission of God, if we are not passionate to be involved in what God is doing in this world, then the call to suffering will fall on deaf ears. There is no reason to suffer if the main point is for us to be secure in our eternal salvation alone and to just wait for Christ to return, is there? Why would we suffer? Why would we do this kind of suffering that engaging in the mission of God calls us to do? We wouldn't. But if we have passion for what God is doing, which is showing forth Christ through the church as we live as those transformed by the gospel, then we too will be willing to suffer. That's what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy. You must fan into flame, Timothy, this passion, this desire for engaging in what God is doing. Among his people. How do we do that? Paul gives Timothy three ways that I think we can learn from to do this. First of all, verses 3 to 5. Paul calls Timothy to remember his roots. To remember the gospel heritage that he has been given. He calls him to remember this, first of all, by just communicating his own love for Timothy. Paul is a mentor to Timothy, right? So he says, Timothy, I thank God as I remember you in my prayers. Timothy, I'm praying for you. And then he says, when I remember your tears at our parting, 
I long to be with you so that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, I didn't leave you because I don't like you. Timothy, I love you. I long to be with you. Paul is reminding Timothy of his love and care for him as a mentor in the gospel. And then in verse 5, he's reminding Timothy of the love and care of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. The faithful investment in the gospel that these ladies have given in Timothy's life. And the sincere faith that Timothy himself has. He's reminding Timothy of the prior work of God in his life. And calling Timothy to be encouraged. And to be inspired to follow their example. So friends, we can fan into flame the gift of God in us. Our engagement in the mission of God. We can fan that into flame by remembering the way that God has already been at work in our lives. Especially through those who have ministered to us, who have been faithful in encouraging us, who have discipled us. As I think about my life, I can name people. I can name Harold who invested in me when we were in St. Cloud and Tom who invested in me when we were in Minneapolis and many, many others who have been faithful in encouraging me and praying for me and loved me. And I bet you can too. I bet you can too. Remember your roots. Remember and be inspired by their example. Secondly, remember your calling. This is the core of what Timothy is being exhorted to do in fanning into flame. Remember this gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. You have been called to a ministry. You have been given opportunity. Open your eyes to the story that you are a part of. To what God is doing in you. Open your eyes as you look around you. In your circumstances. In your web of relationships. To what God has given you. To the opportunities he has put in front of you. Remember your calling. And then last. Rely on the equipping of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is reflecting on. In verse 7. Verse 7. God gave us a spirit not of fear. But of what? Of power and love and self-control. Of power and love and self-control. Supernatural power. Given to the people of God. For what? Verse 8 tells us. To be unashamed of the suffering and testimony of the Lord. And to be sharing in that suffering. Power to be able to share in suffering. It takes strength and the Holy Spirit will give strength to God's people. Not only power, but supernatural love. Supernatural love is required to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because as we'll see, a big part of our suffering for the sake of the gospel comes from the fact that we are in relationship with sinners. And we need supernatural love to be able to press into hard relationships with sinners like ourselves. And to be able to continue to love them. And the Holy Spirit will work that in your heart. To be able to love even when you are hurt. Not only that, but supernatural self-control. Self-control to do what Paul exhorts Timothy to do. Flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness. Self-control to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. This is what we're called to do, and it is not easy. But in order to fan into flame our desire to do this, 
we must remember that God has gifted us his spirit to enable us to do this. Friends, I want to I want us to imagine what it would be like if we do this in our life. If we engage in the mission of God to make disciples. Not to have someone who we can claim, hey, they're my disciple. But to see someone else formed into the image of Christ through God using us to speak the truth of Christ to them. If we engage in that. What would it look like at the end of our life to be able to write them a letter like this? To be able to write them about the fact that we have been praying for them and that we love them dearly and want to see them and that we're reminded of their faith and our hearts are filled with joy. What would it look like to write this kind of letter and to leave this kind of legacy like Paul leaves with Timothy? I think it would fill us with incredible joy. I had a pastor friend tell me once that there is so much joy in what we're doing in making disciples that's being stored up for us. We don't even experience most of it in this side of earth. Sometimes we get to see the end of a life and say, wow, God used my little weak efforts empowered by his spirit to birth Christ in this person. Much of the time, we don't even get to see the fruits of what we plant. We don't get to experience the joy until Christ returns and we experience it in his kingdom. But friends, imagine what it would look like. And I guarantee if you dwell on that, that that will stoke the fires of desire in your heart to engage in the mission of God. And that will in turn cause this call to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel to fall on you not as a burden, but as a joy. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're longing for. If we engage in the mission of God, it will not only be in obedience to Scripture, but it will set our hearts ablaze with joy in Christ. It will waken weak hearts. It will stir us out of indifference. And it will create in us a gospel community that truly shows what the kingdom of God is like. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're going to see as we go through 2 Timothy calling to leave a gospel legacy by sharing and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. God, these are high and heavy things. And our words are often insufficient and our hearts are often cold. So, Father, I pray that you would stir us up as we look at this letter, as we continue to meditate on these things, as we consider what it looks like to share in suffering. Would you stir in us through this letter a passion to make disciples, a passion to leave a gospel legacy? Thank you for the privilege of participating in the mission that you are doing and have been doing since before creation began and will ultimately bring to an end in Jesus Christ. Amen.